joining us. Hi, Flame. Hey, Ferret. Hi, Fandom. Welcome, 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 everybody, to episode 16. What is this? <laughs> Today we are talking about fandom identities. Are they secrets? What about boundaries? What about online versus offline? All of that. But before we get into that fully, we will share my chat with Pear about secret wars in Stony fandom, which may not be what you think they are. We'll spend the bulk of the episode then chatting about online identities, the history behind how people cultivated them, and the evolution of the idea. This carries over a little from our fandom drama episode last week because some of the ideas do connect. Then we'll wrap up with hearing from you and Community Talks, and we'll check in on the final bits of Stuckoni Summer Stockings in Life of an Event. Huge thank you to Phoenix Metaphor for the gorgeous cover art and to Pear for our chat. If you're ready, so are we. So let's get started. Hi, Podcast Land. I'm here today with Pear. Pear, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Very, very excited. We're going to get started the way we start with everybody. Could you tell me your fandom origin story? Okay. So, well, I grew up in the 90s. So most of the media I was exposed to are things like Power Rangers, Pokemon, Harry Potter, uh, the Spider-Man cartoon, a bunch of DC cartoons. And I was, at the time, the big fan fiction website was FFNet. And we didn't really have a big community at the time. There were some live journal communities, but I'd mostly lurk those because I didn't really believe I was much of a writer. Most of my activities were just lurking around and following my favorite authors. And yeah. Okay, so it started to change also when uh, the MCU came out, because when uh, in 2008, when I saw the first Iron Man movie, I had the feeling that it was something really special. And so I sort of followed, I dipped my toe kind of in the fandom. Around that time, there were a few Iron Man fan works on FFNet. And I think the art site popular then was probably DeviantArt. And yeah, so, Fast forward to about 2012 when The Avengers is out and that kind of just got me really excited about the fandom because I didn't know anything much about Marvel outside of Spider-Man. I didn't follow any of the heroes and, you know, just seeing them all on screen together, it's quite, it was really interesting. So from that, I discovered Tumblr because uh, I was looking around for they didn't, at that time, there didn't seem to be a lot of fan content on FFNet. That site seemed to shift more towards the anime, the Harry Potter fandoms. Not so much on what was current in the 2010s. So I joined Tumblr. was a bit confused by the layout, but I mostly just lurked again. Followed all my favorite artists and authors. And... Yeah, I would continue to lurk there for another six years. I, oh yeah, I, I was really, I was really shy back then. So what was the impetus to be a little bit more, um, a little bit louder, I guess? It was a really gradual process because 
I mean, prior to joining Tumblr, I wasn't very active in fandom either. Like, I didn't, like, while I'd look at live journal communities, I wouldn't talk to anyone. I wouldn't, well, I was on a few forums, but I, I also didn't really talk to anyone there either. So as I was on Tumblr, I continued like, going in and out of various different fandoms, but the MCU was sort of like my main one that I'd always come back to. And because at, at that time, Tony was my favorite character and my favorite ship for the uh, first couple of years on Tumblr was actually Frostine, wasn't Stony. <laughs> that sort of came gradually as I read more and more fanworks. So yeah, anyway, I started getting more involved by uh, making a bunch of like um, gift sets, mood boards, music videos for uh, some of my fandoms at the time, which were Star Wars, Phoenix Wright. And yeah, it was, I made a few friends on Tumblr, uh, just a bunch of mutuals. We'd follow each other and have, you know, really awkward conversations in the Messenger app that nobody ever seems to use. And yeah, so eventually uh, we get to 2018, where there's all this hype for Infinity War because it's the final chapter in the whole saga of the MCU. And I just felt like, wow, this is a really special event. And I have nobody to talk to about it because you know how people, you kind of, for me at least, I have to kind of hide my fan tendencies in real life because it's weird. You know, people see, oh, why are you so obsessed with this movie? It's just a movie. Yeah, it's, I think it's a common experience for a lot of us that don't know how to translate this thing that we love into other arenas, even though there's other fandoms that like to maybe us seem weird, like people who are really into a sports team or something else, it's a little bit more socially uh, normalized. But I think the feeling of, I don't really know how to talk about this thing that I love is common for a lot of us in fandom. Well, yeah, it's really, and like, I mean, if you think about it, sports, Sports fandom is kind of similar to fandom fandom. People get obsessed with certain uh, athletes and they come up with their own head cannons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge sports fan too. So it, it feels very natural to me, but I always laugh at how, you know, there are entire channels dedicated to a fandom, um, multiple fandoms, know, right? all sorts of fandoms, and we kind of get derided. So it just kind of makes me roll my eyes. Well, you know why. <laughs> I do. I do. The answer is the answer is the patriarchy. So, <laughs> but yeah, when I discovered what fan fantasy football was, I was like, oh, that's just fanfic with athletes. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's that's all it is. You are correct. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I yeah. So anyway, to get back to the question, uh, yeah, I was looking for a community to hang out with because. I think for a few years when I was a teenager, I had joined a forum and for a, about a year, it was dedicated to Pirates of the Caribbean and I had enjoyed my time there and some of the people and I kind of missed that kind of interaction because you know, while I was on Tumblr lurking for all those years, it's kind of not the best platform for socializing. And yeah, so I think uh, I found, a, I can't remember who I found the invite link to Discord from, but I joined around the start of 2018 with the intention of 
know, getting people to help me out with the fanfic I was writing and trying to get some, you know, some promotion for it. And yeah, I was really scared about joining because uh, from what I heard of Discord, like it seems that it was full of writers. And during my, uh, all the years I'd been on Tumblr, I was really intimidated by all the writers because they, they, they all seem to know each other, have all these in-jokes and they're talking about writing. And like, to me at the time, it just seemed like this big exclusive writers club that, oh, well, I'm just a lurker. I can't be part of that. So that was my perception before I joined the server. And yeah, like to my relief, I found that the put on the suit community has been, and still is pretty welcoming and open to all kinds of fans, which is, which, yeah, I think is really great. Yeah, I love being in a space where it's not all writers because we can all complain about the same things over and over again. <laughs> And I really appreciate that, um, that POTS is, and other servers I'm in too, I'll say, like, this is one of the things I like about Discord versus Tumblr as well, is that it's a lot of different ways that people interact with fandom mm -hmm. all in one spot. And I can kind of get different perspectives and remind myself that um, it's vast and beautiful. So I can, I resonate with that too. Oh, yeah. Like, I like that there are, like there's no sort of hierarchy of roles. Like uh, people don't look at oh, because you're an artist or a writer, you're contributing more than somebody who's just a person who makes rec lists or somebody who helps find fix that nobody knows how to find, or you know any of the other myriad of roles that fans can occupy in the fandom. Absolutely. And I think in a lot of servers I'm on, if somebody kind of says, well, I just do this, a lot of the rest of us are quick to be like, don't use the word just. That's really important too. Making comments is important. Finding fix is important. Everything we're doing is important. I know, right? There's just a lot that people can do. And, you know, being in a community with that kind of uh, supportive kind of uh, energy, is, you know, it just makes the whole experience more enjoyable. Yeah. It's like, I never believed I was much of a writer, but I actually got inspired to start writing because of Discord. So that's how I became a fanfic writer in 2018. <laughs> that's amazing. And I know one of the other roles that you occupy is mod. And so I'm curious, what was the impetus of you transitioning from member to mod? Okay, so, well, I'd been on POTS for almost a year. So at the end of 2018, I, I, I was approached by one of the mods at the time. I think it was Sleepy Prince. And to say that they've been looking at expanding their mod team. And they asked if I'd be interested. So at first I was a bit mm, unsure because I had made quite a lot of friends by that point and I didn't want to become the police officer. And, you know, is it going to change things? Even though, because, you know, even though the service was supposed to be a fun thing, like sometimes people can let power go to their heads. And having been in communities where, communities that have had, you know, less than ideal, shall we say, kind of leadership, I was a little concerned about that happening. But the other sort of pull factor for it, for me, was, uh, the chance to organize events. Like I wanted to, I was really 
excited by the idea of organizing events for the community to have fun with. So that was what kind of made up my mind. And yeah, so I joined the team and we, we became a mod team. <laughs> there are uh, six of us now. Yeah, so I joined the team and here we are. And I, I think that being a moderator for this server in particular is one of the highlights of my entire fandom life. And, you know, a good, a big part of that is because I think the community is a really quality one filled with really quality people, which makes modding it not, not as well, less of a job and more of something that's fun. So for anybody who is thinking about either, you know, volunteering to mod on a server they're in, or maybe starting their own server, what's a piece of advice that you would give? What type of advice? You mean like technical advice or like Either one. Advice? Like, I mean, I liked when you talked about like you were nervous about, you know, the friend thing that you didn't want to become the police. Has that been something that you've experienced? Uh, yeah, actually. Oh, okay. It didn't happen on Discord, but I've been on forums and communities where some people, when they get a, they get a position that's, has slightly more power, they tend to see it as like, okay, well, I'm the police now. I have to go and hammer down anybody who steps out of line. And you actually don't need to do that. One, because well, one, it, it takes a lot more effort on your part. And two, I, I mean, at the end of the day, this is still a fun thing. You don't need to, you're not like, not like the real police. Yeah, no one is going to, there's not life or death on the line here. We're talking about dicks. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like, I want to quote what Ferret said in one of the previous episodes that, you know, this is, fandom is about a shared connection. So that should always be your first priority. Like, are the decisions that you make, are they going to help make the community stronger be, or improve communication or make it run more smoothly? Yeah, I think it should definitely, the, fo the focus should always be in your community. I love that. And I, just out of curiosity, I'm not, um, I mean, I'm a mod on the Potscast server and I've been a mod on event servers, but I know that kind of ship servers that are not event focused, they feel like a different ball game to me. Like you guys are, are have to do a lot more. What's the, what, what's something that you wish server members knew about your job as a mod? A few things. Okay. So one thing, okay, the first thing might be a bit controversial, but okay. Having more channels doesn't make a server more organized. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. Like you'd think, okay, having a channel for every, any, any category you could think of would make something more organized, but it actually makes it more confusing, especially for newer members. Because it's not, like, imagine you're talking to your friend, right? You don't decide, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes talking about memes, and then we're going to spend 20 minutes thirsting over Chris Evans, and then we're going to spend five minutes talking about pets. You know, people don't really communicate like that. It's And it gets, like, having a broad category, I feel, allows some more organic conversations. And this is from the experience of having gone into a server 
where they have like 10 off-topic channels and just you just think oh god how do you keep it all straight yeah how do you yeah like i think that also affect like that is what i would one piece of advice i would give to anyone who is thinking of starting a server like try to make it as streamlined as possible because it's like it's easier to start small and figure out what the culture of your server is and then create more channels based on that instead of creating a huge ton of channels and half of them are dead. Yeah, I think the culture piece is a really important thing. Like every every server has its own culture. There are the things that are valued there and the kind of conversations that are allowed to flourish or the ones that are sprayed to different places. And so kind of as a mod or as a creator, part of your job is the cultivation and um, and moderation of that community. Like you said, quoting Ferret, that it's all about a shared connection. So what does the shared connection mean on this particular server? That sounds to me or seems to me like a big part of a mod's job. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, this isn't to say that the way POTS is set up is the ideal setup. Like, I think it works for how the community is. And this is after two, three years of trying different channels, creating and adding channels that have worked and some that hadn't worked. So it takes time to come to that. Like you're gonna find out some channels are kind of useless and sometimes there's a need for one that you might not have considered. Switching gears a little bit, I know one of the other servers that you're involved in is the one that you created around Stony Secret Wars and I would love to hear about that. What What are they? Um, let's start there. What are Stony Secret Wars? Okay, so Stony Secret Wars is a game, uh, is a server that I created where people can play social deduction games. Are you familiar with the term? I, you know, I don't think I am. So could you unpack that for me? Okay, well, social deduction is a genre of tabletop games based on secret identities. So the gist of it is you'll have your group of players and everyone is assigned a secret identity and every identity has an allegiance either to the good team or the evil team so the point of the game is to figure out who is on your side and build a team to score and score points together and so the team with the most points at the end wins and how do you how do you score points Okay, so in Secret Wars, which if anyone here is familiar with tabletop games, it's basically a Marvel version of Avalon or the Resistance. So in Stony Secret Wars, there are five missions. And so as you go around the table of players, each player has the chance, has the chance to be a team leader. So the team leader will get to choose a certain number of people to go on the mission. So you have people on the good team uh, with a good allegiance who are called Avengers and people with a bad allegiance who are Hydra members. So Avengers who go on the mission will want the mission to succeed. And this can be done by voting success on the mission. And Hydra members can fail the mission by voting fail. So, so you have these two teams, both of them are trying to get onto a mission so that they can get the result that they want. Because if the mission is a success, Avengers get one point. If the mission fails, then Hydra gets a point. So therefore it becomes very important 
for the team leader to choose the correct people for their purposes. So let's say you, me, and Ferret are playing a game, okay? So on the first mission, I'm the team leader and I have to pick two people to go on the mission. So I would say, okay, I want, I'm going to pick me because you can pick yourself or not pick yourself. I'm going to pick me and Ferret. And then once the team leaders pick the people, everyone votes either an upvote or a downvote to whether they approve of the team or whether they think the team is a horrible, bad, epic mistake. So let's say I upvote and Ferret upvotes and you, because you wanted to go, but you didn't get to go, you downvote. But because it's a majority upvote, the mission goes ahead. So Ferret and I go off onto a mission, go on to, a, go on to our mission. And let's say I'm an Avenger, so I vote success. But Ferret, Sneaky Ferret, is actually a Hydra agent. And she wants to throw the mission. So she could vote fail. And those two votes would be sent to the moderator, who'd be uh, making sure the game goes smoothly and nobody's cheating and everyone knows what's going on. And then, so once both team members have voted, uh, the moderator will reveal the results. And because you need unanimous success for the mission to succeed, the mission is revealed to be a fail. And therefore, one point goes to Hydra. So that's mission one. And then mission two would go around the table and everyone has a chance to be a leader, ideally. Fascinating. And so you do this all within the server, right? So if folks are listening to this and they want to join, we'll put an invite to the server in the show notes. Um, but it all happens within the server, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we figured out a way that we could play it all through text. So I created a few commands with Dino, allowing people to uh, list out team members and choose if they want to upvote or downvote through emojis. And I have a bunch of uh, hello mods on the server who help as game moderators. So if I'm not around, they can help facilitate the game. And we're a pretty small server. It's about 40 people there, but it's kind of grown into its own little it grown into its own little community where people are usually talking there every day about something or other. And it's not just stony fans, which is kind of nice because you, know, you get a lot of different types of people around. We have a few stucky, a bunch of spidey pool. So we all get, a, get together and lie our butts off. <laughs> I love it. Um, so my final question is going to be about recommendations here, um, and which hopefully to do a very classy transition, you are not going to be lying about. Um, <laughs> can you tell me kind of three things that you're either reading right now or you think everyone should read? Okay, let me think. Uh, one fic that I'm following right now is Atoria's Cat AU, Found Cat. Okay. So I, I love I love Fixer Tony as a cat or a cat person. <laughs> and, uh, oh man, it's hard to think of Fix because I haven't really been reading much because I've been trying to write my own ones. That's totally fair. If you've only got one, that's great. I just like, some people are their own Fix gobblers, right? And so they want to give me 30. Huh? Um, and I'm like, no, 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 uh, just three, please. <laughs> uh, oh, I got another one that isn't Marvel though. Uh, this one is called Legal Partners. It 
the, the author is Miggy, M-I-G-G-Y, and it's a Phoenix Wright fanfic. And it's probably one of my favorite fics of all time. Oh, fascinating. I'm sure we've got uh, folks in our fandom that cross over with that one. So I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. Yeah, the ship is uh, Phoenix Wright and Miles Edra. And it has a lot of uh, sort of identity porn. It's a really long 200, well, I don't know, multiple 100K masterpiece. And I waited three years for it to be finished. I, I think if you enjoy humor and all those kind of romantic shenanigans, you're going to like it. And you know, even if you're not in the fandom, I think it's still pretty easy to follow because uh, they mentioned some stuff that happened in canon, but I haven't played every single game and I could still follow what was going on. That's good to know. Yeah. Anything else for me? I think that's about it. Okay. Well, before we say goodbye, do you have anything else you'd like to say about servers or moderating or... Um lying a lot anything along those lines okay one thing i'd like to leave you with is that hey mods are still human and even though we try our best we can sometimes make mistakes i think that's a really good thing for all of us to remember often people who are in charge of anything get we get put in a position where we sometimes think as members of a crowd that someone in charge is infallible so it's a really good reminder that mods are in fact members of our community who are human and love the fandom the same way we do and we need to be able to interact with each other with grace and a shared understanding that we're all really just here to have a good time absolutely we don't actually like punishing people we try to find a way to not punish people if we can i think the most serious things you've done to people like put them in timeout, have been over stuff like spoiler leaking. I think fortunately the community is pretty good at working things out on their own, which I think is great because I think it fosters more trust when your peers are calling you out on stuff and telling you how you can improve something rather than a mod coming up to you and be like, okay, you're under arrest for doing this. Yep. I think that's a really great point to end on. So Pear, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for talking with me. Okay, now that we've talked about playing a game where you take on certain secret identities, we want to dive into the broader subject of online and fandom identities as a thing. A lot of us are on Discord, as you know, Flame and myself, Ferret, both use names that are not our given names. If anyone was suspecting those were our given names, they are not. Um, when we're recording this and when we're in fandom spaces. And so we wanted to sort of explore the topic with you guys um, of fandom identities as a whole, how they impact us, where they came from, and the pros and cons. So the first thing to kind of keep in mind is that all of us have had online identities since around the 1960s, um, and increasingly so as we move on. So the myth that you don't have an online persona if you are not in fandom, like even before social media was kind of a lie, the government started and by the government, I don't just mean the United States, actually the EU was more aggressive than, with this than the, than the US was, sort of digitizing and sharing 
people's personal information for government purposes along what eventually became the internet. It was just within their offices a long time ago. And we linked a couple of things in the show notes to just kind of do the history of online identities and what that kind of looked like. And it's a lot of much more like technical spaces than a lot of, than you may encounter, than a lot of us encounter on a regular basis. I, for instance, asked Mr. Flame for these articles because he is a, in information technology and he sent me somewhere around 15 and I narrowed it down to these two for you guys. Wow. Um, he has a lot of feelings about online identity <laughs> <laughs> and the way to protect it or not. Um, and so you hear a lot of things about identity theft now and how to prevent it and kind of all those things. So remember, as we're talking about a fandom online persona, whether we want it to or not, you have at least one other real, quote unquote, real life persona. It may be fractured. It may be scattered around a whole lot of things. You may have had 400 email addresses, but there are ways to connect nearly everything because of the way that our human lives have been digitized for so long. So this isn't meant to be a downer. It isn't meant to be like a, oh my God, delete your entire fandom life right now. It's more like a reminder to always remember that even in these spaces where we have fractured ourselves, we still bring our whole selves to the conversation whether we mean to or not. Speaking of fracturing ourselves, there's also ways that these identities can, can Venn diagram overlap over each other or be sep so separate as to not touch each other at all. And that comes into play when we talk about how fandom can overlap between online spaces and real life spaces. So you may be on Tumblr, on Discord servers, using your fandom name or your AO3 pen name to represent you and an icon that's, you know, maybe a picture of Steve's face. <laughs> um, but when you're in real life spaces, you can still interact with fandom and the way that people do that varies as well. You don't see a lot of people at conventions who are using the same pen names that they do when they're online. So when we talk about fandom, for some people that means an online space only. For some people that means a real life space only. In fact, before we had fandom online, it was something you shared with your friends, with people you knew IRL. But for most people, I think it intersects both. You've got a fandom identity that remains online. You may have a fandom identity that is closer to your real life identity that's also online. I know some people participate in fandom on Facebook. You may have an identity for each fandom you're in. And you may also have the you that you bring to the table when you engage with fandom in real life, going to conventions, meeting celebrities, participating in panels, I have been to conventions. In my experience, it's very rare for people to share, for instance, their AO3 pen name uh, in a convention space or to say something like that to a celebrity that they might meet or introduce themselves that way. But it's a place where there's this, this intersection of the two worlds. So even when we're talking about identities being online identities, related to fandom, it may still not be your only fandom identity as well. I think this is one of the ways in which fandom is a very interesting hobby mm -hmm. uh, because we all occupy a couple different shades of gray in this. So like my brother plays fantasy football and has an online username for that. 
Um, and so in that way, he would have an online, you know, his username isn't his legal name. Mm -hmm. He has a handle. Um, but it's with most of his offline friends. He talks about it freely. And, you know, this connects back to my rant a couple weeks ago. But like society has said that fantasy football is something that we talk about all the time, whenever we want. You know, fan Marvel fandom is not necessarily in the same category. And certainly shipping gay superheroes is definitely not in the same category for any number of reasons. And so we can't necessarily kind of move between offline and online in the same way as some other hobbies, as it were. Um, and I think that's like, for, so for me, I've never been to a con. Um, I'm hoping to go once these times pass. And some of, for a whole host of reasons, including I really hate crowds. Um, but I have been, I have met Discord friends in person for meals. And I don't, one of the people that I met with, I actually didn't use her real name the entire time. I used her handle. <laughs> That's um, what Ashley and I are like too. <laughs> yeah. Like I used her handle. I am sure that when you and I meet, I will go back and forth between the names. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I can't remember the last time Ashley called me anything but ferret. It's even to her parents who are very confused most of the time. Yeah, I have to be very careful with my mom remembers, but my my father doesn't. So I have to I have to remind him um, who ferret is. And then I'm like my podcast partner. He's like, oh, oh, oh yes, yes, yes. But I, but then I have other people that I've met in like for meals that I I use their legal name and. I don't always remember what their handle is because that's how I, that's the name I use for them now. Mm. Amusingly, side note that uh, Flame and I have done some offline life work together, which involves using both of our proper names. And <laughs> every time we interact on that platform, I'm always like, oh, this is so silly. We're pretending to be real people. <laughs> yes, yes. I have to, and Soulmate knows both, both Ferret's names. And yeah. so I can't, the first time I said, I was like, yeah, yeah, and Ferret's helping us out. I could see Soulmate's face like completely blank over. Um, and so then I used, I used your given name and she was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And so then, but now she just refers to you as Ferret. <laughs> it's, just, it's just easier that way for everybody. Um, and I think Mr. Flame at one point knew your name, but has absolutely no idea what it is. He just now just says Ferret all the time. Um, Ferret and Ashy. I think like, I'm not nearly as fussed about people knowing my given first name as I would be about people knowing some other things. Like I recognize, and this is a little bit of a detour, but I think this is, for me, this connects and how these, all of these spaces in our lap before we kind of move on to some other stuff is that because we all just need to be realistic and that nothing is private anymore. Sorry, if you're a tin hatter, it's just really not like if people are desperate enough to find information, it's probably possible. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have like a gripping fear of my offline and online life intersecting. Um, I don't want it to. Uh, I certainly, there's, a, there's some things about both aspects that I would like to keep in those separate spheres. I don't think I'm in danger of those spheres intersecting um, for any number of reasons. But if somebody really hated me and really wanted to dig and find and things like they could if they wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and some of that's because of, of like the very normal thing that I check fandom from my phone and that's the same IP address that I have other stuff on. Um, and so it's all those kind of things where I have to decide how many, how much I want to navigate back and forth across all of those identities. Yeah. And, and, and then we also just need to be honest too that even within fandom, we have different levels of relationship at different spots. So like, I'm not nearly as candid in my author notes on AO3 as I am on this podcast. 
Right. So if you only know me through my writing, you definitely know some things about me. Like I'm obsessed with Hamilton. I write in text messages. Um, and I only, and I'm very- Excuse me, WhatsApp messages? <laughs> Listen, no one likes you, okay? <laughs> be accurate or don't be at all. <laughs> Both. Thank you very much. This shows, this shows you all how much Farrah has read my work. So let's just, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, you know, I, like I have rhythms, obviously, and you, so you know those pieces about me. Uh, but you don't know nearly as much as if you listen to the pod. And then even if you listen to the pod, you don't know nearly as much as if we're really close and we talk in DM all the time. And yeah. so there's, there's even layers within those personas, um, which I think is important to remember too, that in like, even in DM is not necessarily private, but it's the most private space we can get in fandom. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because I think the concept of like how much privacy you have is what tends to define people's boundaries on when they're within their fandom persona, but in these different online spaces. So when you say that you're um, less candid in your AO3 notes versus the podcast or versus the Discord server versus DMs with somebody, those all have different like privacy scores to your subconscious. Yeah, and for sure. some of that is accurate for sure. DM is certainly more private than um, AO3 author notes. And if you have a, you know, however many subscribers you have doesn't necessarily say how many people are actually able to view the information that you put on AO3 or on Tumblr. You can, you know, you can see hits or, or what have you, but you know, you never know when something's going to take off. You never know uh, when something's going to be reblogged by somebody with a lot of followers and you'll get Loch Ness. So like there is a greater risk of broader access to your information when you post in those spaces versus say a discord server could have a thousand people in it. Probably only, you know, a couple hundred are particularly active or even present at all. And the odds, and this is where it's the difference between culture and technological possibility, the odds of somebody sharing something personal about you that you shared in a discord server into the wider world or to somebody that could make you feel unsafe it are much lower but from a possibility perspective there's nothing standing in anyone's way <laughs> and i think that's a, that's a really great way to differentiate it between possibility and cultural norm there's and this is, we'll get into it in a couple minutes like the idea of doxing and some other things like that which happens in some really ugly like 4chan type spaces much more often than it does necessarily on discord but we've both heard doxing stories in fandom um, and on Tumblr and in Discord and all that kind of other stuff, just because we personally haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even if you are technologically kind of all thumbs and, you know, coding Tumblr posts is as far as you go, that is not true for the rest of the world. And so it's important too to realize the kind of culture of the spaces you're in and kind of what happens and I was very famous, famously said a lot when I got into fandom that Tumblr confused the absolute living shit out of me because I couldn't figure out what people shared or why they shared it or why in God's name there were so many like long posts that were longer than computer screens or like anything else like that because I didn't get into Tumblr until I got into Marvel fandom. But what the culture of sharing on Tumblr is different than the culture of conversation on Discord. Mm -hmm. And when we talk to people about how to make the best of your fandom experience, part of what we're talking about is that culture too. What culture do you fit into best? How do you like to interact? I don't like to have conversations on Twitter at all. I hate it. 
Um, I like having conversations on Discord, but I know people for whom that's the exact opposite. I think that those different levels of privacy also dictate the different levels of comfort that we have. So it may be a myth that there's really any private online space, but the culture of a space and the barriers for access between us and the broader public give us a sense of safety and security. And so the more private a space feels, the more likely people are to share personal information. But there's also another layer of sort of fake protection, and that's this, the, the, the personas that we put on ourselves, the, what we wear. So our usernames, our nicknames, our email addresses, our icons, uh, and that's how other people see us publicly. But like, I'll tell a little story here. I was in a server, you know, a couple years ago where it was a pretty big server. I was moderating it and um, I was friends with this person who we, we had been chatting and I noticed that she had a tendency to share some information about herself that I personally wouldn't have been comfortable sharing. It wasn't a lot, but it was, you know, she'd shared her real first name. She'd shared the city that she lived in. And it was just stuff that had leaked out over time. And at one point, and I, I tend to notice that about people because uh, my dad worked in online security. And so it's the kind of thing that I notice. And I'm also slightly paranoid about people finding out who I am. I'm a business owner and I'm always worried that people will, if people target me, there will be collateral damage. But so this friend of mine was saying that she was careful with the stuff that she shared online. And I was like, I don't think that you really are. Cause I know a lot about you that you never, like you didn't expressly tell me that, but I have absorbed a lot of information about you. And she was, you know, she was like, okay, so we made a bet and I, uh, I had her set a timer. And when she started it, I was gonna start looking her up based on what she'd given me. And if I could friend her on Facebook in less than 10 minutes that, uh, I can't remember what it was, she was gonna write me something or something like that. And it took me, it took me just shy of five minutes to friend her on Facebook. And I mean, by friending her on Facebook, I'd obviously also revealed my personal identity. So it was something I knew that we were both comfortable with the other person knowing that, and that was part of it. But she didn't really have to give me very much. And I was able to find her and I am not at all skilled at this kind of thing. It was really, you know, I have an, an average ability to hunt people down or find information. So I think that, and again, I also don't want this to be like doom and gloom or scaring people because for the most part, people aren't going to do that. But I think that it does, it is a responsibility that everybody who participates in online spaces that have this feeling of protection and privacy, it's a responsibility of all of us, whatever age you are, if you're being trusted by yourself or by your guardian, if you're underage, to participate in these spaces that you understand that everything that you share about yourself has a cumulative effect. And there's a point at which when you put all those things together, even if each individual item about you seems insignificant, there's a just a point where all of those things put together can only equal a small number of people, one of whom is you. As much as we would love to believe that a lot of the friendships that we make will last for a long time or will just gently fade, some of them explode in <laughs> epic proportion. Yeah, so let's talk about, we'll, we'll do the, the negative side first and talk about sort of a pessimist approach to online identities and then hopefully we can bring the mood back up before we <laughs> head out. Let's talk about the <laughs> terrible stuff and then let's talk about the happy stuff. So terrible stuff. 
For anyone who doesn't know what doxing is, doxing is finding someone's personal information, like their phone number, their address, where they work, and posting it publicly online in order to negatively affect their offline life. Sometimes it can be uh, getting in touch with their work, contacting their family, um, their partners, or posting things on their social, their like personal social media, uh, just harassing people, sending them DMs. Basically, it takes your contained identity that you've chosen to engage with and forces it into the parts of your identity that you hadn't allowed into that space. And it got, that phrase in particular got particularly popular um, a bunch of years ago, you know, ask your parents in, of 2015. <laughs> no, it was 2013 and some gamer game. And essentially it was a, it was a very obnoxious gentleman who was upset that his girlfriend um, got a better, essentially like punching deal at a gamer house than he did. And he started spreading the rumor that she slept her way to the top to do that. And within, I don't know, a day, um, she started getting death threats and pretty credible ones. And then anybody who, you know, rose to her defense started getting them and anyone who was a woman in gaming writing started getting them. And I was one of them. Um, and that was a super fun couple, couple weeks of my life. And from there, like it had been happening before. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. Do not get me wrong. Doxing wasn't happening for as long as there have been pseudonyms. I mean, doxing has happened to like Victorian writers. I mean, like it's been happening for a long time. <laughs> it happens but it became kind of more of a cultural word. I would say it entered our lexicon a little bit more after mm -hmm. Gamergate. Um, CNN learned what doxing was after Gamergate. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it got as it, as the online toxic men's rights activist spaces like 4chan and some other delightful places as such started realizing the power that I'm using air quotes, the power that they could have from unleashing this kind of thing, it became a more frequent thing. The downside to that for fandom is that it's a word now that a lot of people use and know and have no idea really what it means or the power behind it, or it's like authentic actual thing. Um, it's also one of the, like, it seems like sometimes when somebody's pissing you off, you in the general royal sense like sometimes people's first reaction is to be like well i'm just gonna dox you like guys that's the nuclear bomb like there's a lot of steps of conflict in between where you are right now and releasing somebody's private information to the public like yeah you can you can do a lot um in between those steps also you know breaking the law <laughs> it's also illegal um and it's not great um, and it, it feels really shitty to be on the, on the end of it. It's, it's panic attack inducing. Um, and it's the, like my offline life is interesting. Um, and I've had a lot of jobs and that's not the only time I've ever kind of, you know, been upset or worried about my life, but it was one of the ones that was the weirdest because the only, I never knew their names, but they knew mine. They knew my address. They knew my husband's name and they knew my office number at work. Mm -hmm. and they could find me anywhere. And I was living in a pretty small part of the world at the time. And it was, it was scary. I'm not going to lie. Um, 
but so my little PSA in that is like, please don't use that word unless it, it, unless you're using it for what it actually means. One, it's not something we throw around. And two, I wasn't like, I put my head above the parapet and I joined a thing that could have, that could have gotten me those consequences. And I knew it going in and I made a calculated decision and it was one that I'm still proud of and I'm happy to have done regardless of the effects. In fandom, that's not always the case. In fandom, the stalkering and harassing and all of that kind of stuff is usually over things that people didn't like make a conscious decision to make a stand about. It's frequently over something that somebody disagreed with them about. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit more, it's, it seems to, at least in recent past, and please Ferret, correct me if I'm wrong, blow up pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think that one aspect of that is that um, it, I, I talked about this a little in the last episode is that it's a lot easier for people to find stuff. You don't have to be technologically inclined necessarily to search someone's email and from that figure out their Facebook account, which gives you their real name, you know, stuff like that with just a little bit of information because of the way data has been commercialized. It's, out there and it's a lot easier to just to, to find stuff that is threatening information it's easier for somebody to use information to threat threaten people now than it used to be and the there's a lot of anger and a lot of frustration that leads to activism which is awesome in a lot of ways but when that can be turned on an individual that can be weaponized in a way that can really deeply affect not just people's ability to maintain their fandom persona but their real life too yeah and so it's like this is this has been really heavy obviously and we wanted to talk about this aspect of it though because first of all it's a major part of fandom we exist online we're a text and visual based fandom instead of a touch-based activity um and so that's something to, to talk about there's been some you know, conversations recently that I've personally seen happening in public spaces on Discord that I've very much been like, oh, Lord loves, this is public. Um, and you are either completely forgetting that it's public or have not thought about the implications of what you are sharing. It's a lot of trust to a lot of strangers because even though you're only, you may only be having a conversation with four people, there may be a thousand that now have access to that information, potentially, basically forever. Forever. Yeah. Screenshots are forever, friends. And yeah. Discord logs are pretty long running. They're not deleting stuff yet. So. <laughs> and Twitter is in constant battles where law enforcement is trying to get them to turn over their logs. Um, and so who knows how safe Twitter will be. Um, even if you delete your tweet, uh, a lot of people have screenshots. They keep receipts these days, kids. Yes. Um, and so it's just really wise to there's ways to be open and friendly and even vulnerable and authentic um, about yourselves without disclosing things. There's a difference between vulnerability and disclosure. And learning to walk that line is a really important part of online, I think, fandom life um, that may be more and more difficult for people who grew up and had Facebook when they were like 13. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, like I got faced when I was 25. So yeah, there was a, there was a, a little bit of a different generational here too. And sometimes I definitely worry about the things that people share on Twitter when I know they're quite a lot younger than me. And I'm like, Oh, child, that can be a secret. Um, 
please be careful. That's an inside thought, not an outside thought. <laughs> and I like, I, I don't want it to come off like fandom is something that you need to hide because this really isn't about fandom itself. Even if you just look at how much information you can access about a celebrity's personal life, the fundamental issue with the seek with maintaining secrecy or privacy with your online personas, whether it's in fandom or not, is just the sheer volume of people who have access to it. If you're at a party and everybody knows your address, it's an entirely different potential than if you're in a 2000 person discord server and you post your address. Odds are everyone's going to be fine. I like to believe most people are good, but as soon as tensions run high, I mean, plenty of celebrities get docs. People post their addresses, their phone numbers online. That's definitely happened. It's definitely criminal. Uh, and they often have to move or change their number, otherwise uproot their life or their family. And because of the way information is shared and because of how broad all of this is, it's not, this fun isn't just for celebrities anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I mean, I think there was, there was an interview at one point, I think it was right around the time that Winter Soldier came out that Seb said he moved, he's moved seven times in New York. Yeah. Um, because people found his apartment and like they paid off his doorman and they weren't, it was, this wasn't even tabloids. This was fans that yeah. found it. Um, and so it's, that's terrible. Please don't be that person. Yeah. <laughs> and what, so when I say fandom, I mean, one of the reasons that I kept saying that is, and, and, and Ferret's totally right. This isn't about fandom necessarily. This particular section is about, I kept mentioning fandom, but because of all those ways that fandom is, tends to be something a lot of us would like to keep to ourselves. Yeah. There's the other personal from. layer. Yeah. Um, we would prefer that people don't know that. And we'll get this into community talks. We had a little bit of a conversation on our Discord server about who in people's lives know about what levels of fandom that we're in and what that all means. And like, what is the difference between people knowing that you see the Marvel movies on every opening night versus that you write fanfic and like all of that stuff. So we'll get into that in community talks. Um, but we'll end this kind of much more, you know, anti-flaret. <laughs> <laughs> tries to protect the masses segment <laughs> of the of the pod by saying that it's just something that we as people who both of us earn a lot of our living via the internet in one way or another and we would like to caution you to remember that a lot of other people do too and the internet is a beautiful thing and we'll talk about that in a minute but the downside is that we have to be a little bit more um conscious of our responsibility in terms of sharing and this also means in terms of sharing other people's information, you could have heard a really great gossip story on Discord. Like Twitter doesn't need to hear your rant about that. <laughs> um, and some other things like that where, you know, there are also some just kind of, I don't know, like my guiding rule in fandom is don't be a dick. And that's pretty much what we're saying here in a certain way. But also remember that while most people follow that too, some people don't, like Ferret said. Yeah. So, but... <laughs> But there are good things about there are wonderful things. None of us are here because we'd like to be docked someday. So <laughs> yeah, there there are benefits to sharing pieces of yourself online. And I mean, I have to say, fundamentally, the best part of the fact that we have these fandom spaces and we're able to create these fandom identities, so we feel safe and so we can be the person that we want to be in these spaces, is because you can connect with so many people. There's just so much potential for finding somebody that you vibe with. Yep. There's so much breadth of connection possibilities. And the, when you're, when you expand the, 
number of people you have access to and the, the variations of people you have access to, you just have, you know, you've got a better chance of finding your soulmates. And I think the thing is too, there's so much life baggage that we bring into offline relationships mm. that you don't have to bring in to fandom. Those can be optional disclosures. All we bring into this space is that we like the same thing that you do and we talk about it. And then anything else past that is gravy. Yeah. And that's allows for a different, I mean, we are not saying anything that a hundred thousand PhD researchers have not already said, but like there's parts of my, I don't, I'm not afraid to share necessarily parts of my life with a lot of people, but there are a lot of parts of my life that require a whole lot of explanation <laughs> right? and a lot of backstory and a lot of people understanding okay, yes, I understand that this sounds crazy, but in 2016, this happened and you need to understand, but then this happened in 2008 and like all that kind of stuff that you slowly learn with people when you're doing life with them that doesn't have to enter fandom at all. And there is a freedom in that that is different than other, like I don't get that freedom on Facebook. I don't, it's different than social media. It's more, you guys know me as Flame, as this, woman who has a podcast with her friend ferret and who creates these stories and who uses too many pop culture references in her fix and like that's the hopefully you know that i am generally kind and i really like people to have a good time in their lives and i like to be helpful that's the core of who i want you to know who i am none of those things are untrue none of those things are lies i'm not hiding anything else but there's so many other complications i mean i'm almost 37 goddamn years old <laughs> lot of junk there that I don't have to burden you guys with we can just be friends first and that's a different dynamic than in a lot of other spaces that I think is really really sacred and really really special um and I've never there's been very few other spaces I've been in that I've been able to connect with this many people this quickly because we got rid of some of the garbage and we learned to trust each other first over this before we entered some of the harder conversations and it's it's just it's lovely yeah, I, I like that idea of trust because I think that because fandom has been, you know, set aside and looked down on or judged harshly by mainstream media or mainstream society for so long, we all have a bit of internalized shame about it. And we talked about all of that in the previous episodes. But the fact that for a lot of people, it is either unwelcome or uh, even scary to share this with people that have influence in your real life or people you wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, remove if you had to. The fact that we all understand that, and I mean, maybe this is a generational shift that we're going to see as fandom as a thing becomes less judged, but we're all starting with this, you know, we're all coming into the room, putting a little bit of trust out there, ex expecting to trust other people that we all know how hurtful it can be to have this love turned against you or to be judged just for a hobby that you have, which doesn't seem that much different from fantasy football. Um, and because we're all walking into that space and we know that everybody's got that on their mind too, it, it makes it easier for us to trust this group, these people. We, are, we have this little shared, you know, worry, I guess, <laughs> that we're carrying with us that, uh, that means it's a little easier to be like, yeah, you know what? I think, I think that we can be kindred spirits here. And 
you know, there's other layers of that too, especially for those of us in servers that are very, very thirsty. Um, that we don't have to be ashamed of talking about bodies or sex drives or lack of sex drives, or I'm not really sure about like the the other side of fandom is that we have very, very frank conversations about sexuality in spaces that like you can't have them in other spaces, I should say. Mm. And there are four people on the planet I have talked to as frankly about like a, that I have to frankly about like my personal body issues and sex life and all of that and two of them are in fandom <laughs> so like and one of the therapists so like that's just kind of <laughs> like it's um it's very there's a there is a lovely thing about it being anonymous and that you're not typing to people's face talking to people's faces but you're typing to people's words that also allows a freedom and a trust regardless of everything else we just said about how it can be turned against you 90% of the time it's not 90% of the time you get to get your whole thought out without somebody interrupting you they get to go back and reread it in case they misunderstood it you get to talk those things out the rhythms of communication in online conversations are different than offline and it allows for a deepening research has shown rep repeatedly that online communication can lead to much deeper and much more vulnerable friendships quicker than in-person ones, not only for the bad stuff that I mentioned or the potential shame things that Frit mentioned, but because of the actual psychology of how humans communicate. And frequently we want to explain ourselves fully about something. And you can not keep in mind, you can't listen and think as well at the same time as you can read and think at the same time. Yeah, how many, how many, come on, raise your hand if you've been in a conversation where the other person was saying something deep and serious and you were planning what you were gonna say next instead of listening. Like this morning when, yeah, <laughs> yeah this morning. Whereas in, in a Discord chat or a Twitter conversation or WhatsApp, <laughs> whoa did anyone feel the venom in that one that some of us have friends off discord ferret <laughs> um or you know in those spaces i can read back what they said and make sure i understood and i can think and i can pay attention and i can zero in in a different way um and typos and misunderstandings are funnier in in typed spaces than in verbal spaces because we've just kind of understood that there's also the beautiful like um medium of memes and gifs yeah um that's really helpful and we've come up with other ways to express ourselves but human communication allows for that and allows for a deep and authentic and vulnerable space like i said a whole lot quicker than in most in-person spaces even those that like you know people at tailgate for their favorite college football team we'll all bond over that experience. And that could be a really, really great experience, but they may need to do it four or five or 10 times before they really form a community. Whereas you could be in a Discord server for a weekend. And if it's the right fit with the right alchemy of people, like that's it, you're, you're done. I think that, and that kind of touches on our final thought that we're gonna finish up with here. Um, but I think that the concept of the and the anonymity protection that you have on the internet part of what makes that anonymity feel safe is that these are 
identities that you are putting on that you can take off, yes, but you can also dispose of completely. And that safety means if you make a misstep or you trust someone too much or you say something that doesn't go over great in a community or you just feel like you don't fit, then you have more freedom to try because if you screw it up, it's so easy to step away. Whereas if you're, you know, your friend brings you to their book club, you have to be a little more careful to take your time and, and involve yourself slowly because the ramifications of making a social misstep can be much greater. And that brings us to sort of talking about how fandom identities can and do get discarded. And uh, I think that we've all noticed lately, especially maybe in stony fandom, I can't really speak to other fandoms, but um, it's happening in Stucky too. Yeah. In, in Marvel, there's certainly, as we've, you know, gone through the, the climax and the denouement of this arc of the movies that got most of us involved in Marvel and MCU fandom, we're seeing uh, some people choose to move on. They're finding other fandoms or they're not longer interested in fandom any, anymore. And for some people that involves deleting that identity so that it no longer exists. And that could mean deleting a Discord server, a Discord account, your Tumblr, even your AO3 and all of your fix. And uh, there's a freedom in having an online identity that allows for that. We did talk in an earlier episode about our individual feelings about deleting fix, but the the, I think one of the reasons why it's so easy for us to say, you know what, I'm just going to trust this person and, and be, you know, honest, or I'm going to be brave and talk about anal sex or whatever. <laughs> and is because if it doesn't go well, it's, it's, it, you, you can't, you always have the opportunity of deleting it in a way that you can't delete your, you know, offline person. Yeah. I think that's a really great summary. So we want to know what you guys think about fandom identities. I know some of you out there are using your real first name as your fandom name. Uh, I know I am more sensitive to that because I have a fairly unusual first name. Makes it a lot easier to find me. Um, I know people whose- Her name is Methuselah. (laughs) Thank you for revealing that flame. Now everyone knows. Total secret. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, actually, my first name is becoming more popular, so- maybe it won't be so unusual but uh i've always been nervous about that i see some of you out there with your uh, icon being a picture of your face and your name being your real first name and telling us where you live and what your parents do and where you're going to school and all that stuff i would love to hear from you guys how you feel about that if uh it feels safe for you or if you feel that you have no privacy online anyway so you might as well be honest or if you can't imagine a real life repercussion for it, because this is something that you're open and honest about with everybody. So what could somebody possibly hold against you online? Uh, Yeah, I'm super interested in it as someone who's fairly private on the things that could actually identify me uh, and then fairly open about everything that is more of the the emotional or, uh, you know, I, I, I will have long conversations with people about sex <laughs> um, and relationships with your parents or pets or whatever you want, but you're not getting the name of my hometown out of me. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be really interested to <clears throat> Ferret and I live in geographically different places in terms of population where yes. I am much more open to saying that, that I'm from Philly. You guys all know that, but 
what god that's somewhere around six million people if you take in the philadelphia metropolitan area and i won't but i won't tell you where i am in the city um or where i work or what my relationship is to the city in any way shape or form um i'm pretty cagey about where i the universities i taught at the universities i teach at like all those kind of things because those are narrower um so i'd love to know like you know i'm very open about a lot of personal stuff but i also am because mr flame finds this lovely and wonderful and he's super duper supportive of this um and is actually baffled that some spouses wouldn't be adorably because he doesn't yeah yes. he's <laughs> um and sometimes a little bit dumb but we've talked about what i can share our lives and what he doesn't want me to and we have that kind of dynamic there's a lot of dynamics where that's not true i would have shared a lot more when i was single than i do now also i would have shared a lot more when i was younger personally I would have heard a lot more before I went through my, my <laughs> delightful death threat incident. Um, you know, so I'd love to know if there's an evolution in it too, you know, like, well, when I was, when I was 12, I did all of this, but I'm 19 now and I feel totally differently. Like we'd love to hear all of this. Yeah. Because, like we said at the beginning, all of us have online personas and clearly all of us have online fandom personas. And so what does this, where do you draw boundaries? Um, and is it something you struggle with? It's interesting that you talk about, uh, you and Mr. Flame like talking about it. Mr. Ferret is way more open about himself personally online than I am. He's much less nervous about sharing information. He's posted stuff. If, if any of you were on POTS way back when, he's actually posted a selfie on POTS before. Um, he's not, he's no longer in the server, but uh, he, once in a while, once in a blue moon, he pops in and makes a mess of everything. But um, he, he shares his real name and, and he tells people where he lives. People know what city he lives in. If you find him, that's the easiest way to find me if anyone's planning on doxing me. Um, Don't, because I will breathe fire on you. <laughs> um, but so yeah, do any of you have a partner that has a wildly different approach or maybe a sibling or a parent that has a wildly different approach to online security than you do? Oh, and legitimately, if any of you grew up where your parents created your Facebook account for you, yeah, totally. I would, or you have a cousin that happened to or something like I, I'm, this is not in no way, shape or form are we judging anybody's choices in this ball game. I think you guys, hopefully you guys in 16 episodes, trust us enough to know that we really just have, we're really just curious. Yeah. So hit us up. We're going to, we're going to move into community talks very shortly and we'll hear a little bit about the conversations we've already had with people about fandom identities, but this is absolutely a conversation that we would love to continue. So if you have more feelings or you want to send us, you can send us anonymous feelings or our fandom feelings, submissions or email us or hit us up on social media and let us know this is a big topic and we can keep talking about it forever. So hopefully we'll hear from you and we can keep the conversation going. In today's community talks, as aforementioned, we are going to talk a little bit about the beginning of a fandom identities conversation we had on Discord. We say beginning because we would very much like to continue this conversation, as we already said. So on our little Discord server, we asked people, essentially, do offline folks know about your fandom life? And 16 people responded, including me. So I don't know if Farrah did or not. I didn't. Um, okay. <laughs> So 15 people responded that are not on this podcast. And the general consensus of the people that responded was that everybody, that people in their life knew they were some level of fan. It varied from, they just know that I like Marvel. 
um, all the way up to they know that I write fic and they're like, I'm okay talking about it. The general consensus was that most people in their lives knew that they were fans, you know, knew that they saw the movies, knew that maybe had a Captain America logo on their computer, you know, something like that. Um, and even if they knew that they read fan fiction, there's not that many people that know that they write it. Um, and there was a little bit of a conversation about that moment when somebody sees you get an AO3 notification on your phone and they go, oh my God, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think a couple of us have said, like, I noticed somebody next to me on a plane reading uh, an AO3 fic and I was like, oh my God, what's your fandom? Um, <laughs> thank you, AO3, for having a really, really recognizable email. You're right. Um, but generally it was a little bit you know, they, they didn't really, you know, they all said maybe their spouses know about it, but like their parents don't, um, their partners know, but you know, their, their roommates don't really. And I know we've heard from some people that were not part of this survey, but we've heard about them, you know, some pod fickers that are like, I really can't record because my roommates don't know about my life. And since COVID hit, I haven't been able to be alone in the flat long enough. Yeah. Um, and so I can't do my pod ficking. Um, and so I think it sounds like most most people in our fandom probably have some level, like people know that they like things, but it does not sound like there's a lot of people that are able to, for whatever reason, feel comfortable being really open. Um, yeah, so I was interested that nobody actually answered on our poll. Nobody said, absolutely nobody knows. I've definitely seen people come into Discord servers and say, oh, wow, it's so, you know, it's crazy to even talk to other people who are interested in fandom because literally no one else in my life knows. But I yeah. think that that's as rare as people who are 100% totally open with it and they have a shirt with Steve and Tony kissing on the front and they wear that around town, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know Saber has been joking on the pot server that after everything's over, we're all gonna meet up in Disneyland and- um, it's, it's, it's not a joke, Flame. <laughs> Don't tell me that's a joke, we're going. <laughs> So, well, she, she says we're going to wear t-shirts with Steve and Tony kissing and because, <laughs> I have, we're going I have to, one. because we're going to Avengers land, I might wear a different t-shirt, but, um, no, we are definitely going. Um, I'm also organizing a trip to Ireland for, for, um, Avengers fandom. So I'm going to take you around and get you drunk Amazing. in various pubs. Um, yeah, I think being in Ireland would get me more than drunk. I can barely handle drinking here. <laughs> I'm going to, we're just going to, I'm going to hire one of my in-laws to push you around in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> um, but anyway, there's, you know, like meeting up with other fandom people would be a real step for some folks, I think. But it also sounds like that's something that people really like and want to do. Um, and maybe that's a big step towards telling people in their other people in their lives, you know, well, I met up with these friends. Um, I told Mr. Flame about this this poll. Mr. Flame is one of the first folks who started playing World of Warcraft. So he's been on online fandoms in a way for a lot longer than we've been together. And he was very bullied by his family for being um, an online gamer. And then he, he started building his own computers and they needed his help. And all of a sudden he was amazing and not, mm -hmm. uh -huh, that's how it works for most of us. Um, and so he was saying that one of the real like there were people at our wedding that were from his wow squads some i can't remember the language um that he had never met in person before <laughs> and they showed up to our wedding and it was so much fun to watch them meet face to face yeah um, and telling my parents about that i was really expecting like a 
oh really and they were like that's so amazing we want to make sure we meet them too this person flew from norway like kind of stuff and he but he talked about how that that has been an evolving thing and that online fandoms and he wanted it to be very clear that other people laid the pathways for us to which i gave him the stink eye don't worry um (laughs) but that it's usually in his experience a lot more common for people to be like well i want to meet you in real life first before i tell other people that i do this thing yeah i think that there's two like by by being more open about fandom and just unabashedly saying hey we're into this that inevitably has an impact on how it is seen by other people because as soon as people have friends who are into it it's less weird and so if you're in a position to share it with people, it does help the cause sort of. We're all supporting each other by, by showing that we're not ashamed. And I totally understand that there are a lot of people for whom it's not safe to talk about or it's not comfortable to talk about or you risk losing relationships that are important to you. Totally fine. I'm saying I talk about it with friends that I trust because they trust me with their weird things. I tell them my weird things and I tell them that I'm in fandom. And I know that there are friends of mine who see fandom as a hobby more positively or consider the creativity, say, that goes into writing fan fiction in a way that they hadn't before because all they knew was a general meme mainstream approach of making fun of it. Yeah. So, my- Soulmate says that all the time. The only thing she knew about fan fiction before she met me was that episode of West Wing where Josh Lyman makes fun of it. Yes. Um, and then she met me and started <laughs> lemonlyman.com. Lemonlyman.com. Um, and then she met me and started hearing stories of fandom. And it's not for her, but she checks in on it all the time. She knows about Marvel Trump's hate. She knows about the podcast. She asks how everyone's doing. Um, so I, it's a, it's been a journey for her that I'm really excited she took, but I put up with all of her hockey nonsense. So she can put up with my Steve Tony nonsense. Everyone has their nonsenses. And the more that we are out and proud about our nonsense, the more it's just become something that people are fine with. And when you list your hobbies on your resume, maybe you can write writing fan fiction someday. I hope I would love to get a resume that said that on it. Oh, Um, so true. I would see it so much as a creativity marker for any job. Yep. I used to uh, do all my interviews with, I had an Avengers pen that would light up. (laughs) Flame knows this about me, but you guys listening hopefully don't know this about me because I'm hoping I hide it well. I really have to fiddle with stuff if my body isn't doing anything. And so when her and I are talking and planning and chatting before we start recording, I'm using my pile of loud toys to play and I'm clicking things and smacking stuff together and unclipping and un, you know clipping things together so she's constantly listening to me like click and make noise then I have a pile of quiet toys that I pick up when we're recording that are less satisfying but the best that I can do without driving you all crazy and and so I need something to fiddle with during an interview so I had this Avengers pen that had a light on it so I could push the button and click it which would also draw a lot of attention to it and my thing was always the like 10 points to anyone who notices me playing with the Marvel pen and is like oh cool you like Avengers I like Avengers too and in all the interviews I've done which is a fucking lot I've only ever had one person be excited about it. Yeah, I was hiring earlier this summer for a really important position in my company. I also own a company, um, Ferret said she did earlier, and I was hiring for a really key position and it was mask time. And so I decided to wear one of my fandom masks and see if anyone commented on it. Mm-hmm. And my brother, who is also like a fan, but not necessarily in our fandom, um, 
he was like, if anyone mentions, is that a Harry Potter mask? They immediately go to the top of the pile. And I agreed. <laughs> and we assumed that nobody would, because it's a really stealthy one. It's not like it's, you have to know Harry Potter to know that it's a Harry Potter mask. Okay. And the woman that we eventually ended up hiring, that was the first thing she said. She's like, oh my gosh, is that a Harry Potter mask? Where did you get it? I need one. Amazing. And my brother and I both looked at each other and like nodded. Um, and obviously we didn't just hire her because of that, but it was indicative of a, uh, a piece of her personality that we knew would fit with us. Yeah. And people who are passionate about something, creative about something, but also who are comfortable enough with themselves that, and feel that they're in a place where they're safe enough that they can share those pieces of themselves. That's always a benefit too. And I hope that we'll hit a point where everybody feels comfortable and safe with that. Absolutely. And, you know, social worker flame moment. Um, Ferret mentioned this earlier, but I want to hit it again, that if this is not something that you can do for any reason in your life, either physical safety or um, emotional safety or financial safety or anything else, please hear that we're really glad that we can be part of a space where you can be that part of yourself unabashedly with us um, and never feel like we are, think less of you or anything else because you can't be um, in the in a, maybe an out relationship with it um, and all we want to support you and you love this fandom um, and we will continue to be as loud and proud as we can be so that it will seep into the rest of the culture. I think that the the fandom identity thing that we maybe didn't touch on so much in our previous conversation about fandom identities was that this anonymity gives an opportunity for people who aren't safe to talk about certain things or in a place where it wouldn't be comfortable or safe or mentally healthy for them to share this stuff because they can be anonymous online. It gives them the opportunity to participate in communities and environments where it's okay to like the things that we like and it's okay to talk about these topics. And for some people that's very, it can be liberating, it can be educational and it can just be a relief from a place where, you know, for a lot of people, I think their fandom identities in some ways feels more like them than the face they have to put on when they're being the person who fits in the culture that they have to be in. Yeah, and I think we've heard that from, you know, in our personal conversations with other people that we've, you know, referenced to each other, but also in some of the interviews we've had already on this, on the show. Mm -hmm. um, and exploring that tension is something that we would love to explore in further interviews um, and further conversations. And we'd love to hear constantly about what fandom life looks like for you you hear enough from us <laughs> we definitely would love to hear more from more more folks about that so please please be in touch if you're willing to talk to us about this or any other fandom topic so in other ways that we have heard from people in the last couple weeks um, we got a sweet little comment on uh, that came to us through our fandom feelings submissions um, and I just wanted to read that. This is about our episode on cartoons that featured the interview with Never Ever and our discussion of Marvel cartoons. So uh, a, a secret admirer said, I'm a total sucker for Marvel cartoons. So I was really excited to see you had done an episode about them. I really enjoyed your interview with Never Ever. I hope that her praise of these shows along with how easily accessible many are on Disney Plus inspired some listeners to give them a try. Along with the enjoyment of watching them, familiarity with the cartoons also opens up new fandoms with tons of great fics for people to read. I love that Marvel is so big that, you know, we can do an episode that's possibly introducing people to entire canons that they'd never even heard of before. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, as I said to Never Ever, she introduced me to cannons I had never heard of before either. Yeah. Um, and since then, I have done a couple dives into fic from those. I have become in love with Avengers Assemble fic. And as soon as I have time, I'm watching the show. <laughs> I think you'll so, like it. Yeah, adorable. I'm on vacation this week. And it is it is on the list of things to rewatch if I can tear myself away from Shit's Creek. So Amazing. So yeah, I yeah, love that comment. Um, that was a really fun episode. And Never Ever was a great interview. And uh, I it's feel like- It's so great I'm to talk to people passionate about pieces of fandom that we aren't yeah um, and I, I think that cartoon fandom can be quiet sometimes but like y'all should speak up <laughs> yeah right. Remind us you're there. yep for sure and then the other piece of fandom that you and i are not involved in at all uh but is very active was brought to us by an email we got this week from yolo life which is um. a great email address <laughs> Um, and who tells us that their first language is Spanish and that they read a lot of fics in English and Spanish and that Spanish stony fandom is really, really different, which, um, and also asked if we would be willing to talk about it. And let me say, we are absolutely willing to talk about it. Unfortunately, both of us only read English. And so we would love to hear what fandom is like in other languages. And I'll get back to her email in a couple seconds. But if you are somebody who reads and experiences fandom in a language besides English, please tell us about it. Either tell us about it in an interview you heard last week that um, we'll, I'll do a Discord interview with you and then I'll bring in Alex or Only or one of our other dedicated voice talent here in the podcast stable of repertoire of performers. Um, you can be an interview yourself, or if you and a, and a pal both speak the same language and you would like to interview each other in that language, Fair and I would love to have it, have a week off. Yeah. So please feel free to do that. Please get in touch with us. For instance, YOLO Life tells us that in Spanish fandom, Sharon Carter is a really big deal. Mm. I don't think English stony fandom interacts with Sharon Carter at all. I know English Stucky fandom does. Um, and then we also find out that a lot of Spanish language fix are on Wattpad. And that in Marvel, the two biggest ships on Wattpad are Stony and Thorky. <laughs> yeah, actually, I want to read this little excerpt about Sharon, because I think this is interesting. Yolo Life says, in the Spanish fandom, it's so popular that Sharon Carter wants to keep Steve away from Tony and wants Steve for herself. That's like in almost every fic. And I haven't seen many fics in English like that, but in Spanish fics, it's common. So it's, it's like, it's not, it's not necessarily a very nice using of Sharon, but it's certainly more use of Sharon. It's almost like Sharon Carter is to Spanish Stony fandom what we use Thai for for Tony in English speaking Stony fandom. Yeah, yeah it's that's fascinating. That's fascinating. I don't think we remember. I mean, I mean, she's not very nicely used in much Stucky fic either. So I don't know if any of us like Sharon Carter as a fandom. It'll be interesting once Falcon Winter Soldier airs. Um, yeah. How, especially if the rumors are true and they want to get her with Bucky, yeah. um, what that is going to do to her character and our fandom. That'll be interesting. But really? yeah, I would, so another sm small plug for MTH, translations are available in a couple different languages yes. in, in um, auctions this year. And I know based on this email, if anyone's translating Spanish to English, I'm going to find them because I want to read some of these. <laughs> my Spanish is good, but not good enough to read fanfic. So yeah, uh, yeah, I can get by in Spanish, but um, again, not enough to really enjoy fanfic. 
and uh, I've won some. I've won some translation auctions where I had them translate my own stuff. I've won um, somewhere I've had them translate fix from other languages into English so I could read them. I was mostly like pick the favorite, your favorite fic in your language, and then translate it so I can read it. And uh, I've also had people translate my fix, which is awesome. Uh, usually into languages I can't read at all, but Statistic Sparkle did turn um, the future is yet in your power into Spanish, which I can get by with. So it was really fun sort of trying to, trying to read my own words in another language with something I could actually follow along a little bit. But uh, oh my gosh, yeah, I would, there's this yes. whole other world out there that we want to collide with. Yes, very much. So that's what we've got for us talking with you for this particular part of Community Talks. Uh, and we look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. And now we're going to turn our attention to celebrating and, well, we, we still have paper bags, but it's for happy reasons, <laughs> for the penultimate update on Stacconi Summer Stockings. Reveals are open! Yay! Yay! <laughs> All of the fills are in for Stuck on a Summer Stocking and the collection is open for viewing. Everything is still set to anonymous, so it's still a secret who wrote everything or not so much of a secret if your friends did and you can figure out who they are, which we've already had some guessing. Uh, but everything's available. We had an amazing 90 fills for 44 stockings, which blows my mind. I am so excited about that. Everyone got at least one thing and all, everything that I've heard from people is that they adore their gifts. Yeah. I haven't heard a single, even neutral piece of feedback um, on the fills. It's been just overwhelming glee. We have heard in multiple spaces and I think the comments from what I'm understanding, the comments that authors are getting as well is also effusive. I know I've gotten some very kind things on the pieces I submitted, even not from the people who I wrote them for. Because one of the cool things about this event was that of the 44 stockings, probably 39 had really similar prompts. <laughs> We're clearly in the Stagoni fandom. We are all thirsty for the same stuff. Like Stagoni fandom. And I think some of it is that we haven't had the privilege of a lot of events or a lot of like prompt events yeah. as it were. And so it's like, oh, what do I want more of? This thing that I always want more of. Yeah. Um, and so it was really great. So pretty much with the exception of a handful of fix that are pretty specific, but still really well done. And we'd encourage people to kind of go outside your comfort zone a little bit. If you can, you trust these boys. So, you know, maybe do an adventure. Um, all of them are for everybody in a really uh, unique way that I don't remember that ever existing in another event I have been in. Yeah, I haven't seen one that had such broad appeal. I really think that the vast majority of the fix hit the same the same points that that so many people were looking for and uh that makes it sort of like you know everybody has a stocking with 90 things in it which is really awesome yeah we have loved it and because we were so busy gushing to each other as we were doing approvals we realized that we wanted a space for everybody to be able to do that with each other and as we all know tumblr is a dumpster fire so mm -hmm. tumblr was not going to be that space and so what we have done with our incredible um, transcription goddess, Miss, Mrs. Moody Bear, created a 
new Stacconi server, actually, called STB Enthusiasts. It's an 18 plus Discord server. The link will be in the show notes. And within that server, there is a stocking party specific channel where you can go and make guesses about who wrote what fic, even if it's not for you. There are some of us authors who are absolutely not stealthy whatsoever. And so figuring out what fics we wrote is not <laughs> difficult. Someone figures out a fic I wrote, you don't get a gold star. Like, it's just too easy. I'm I, got, I got one of flames from the summary. <laughs> like, like, it's, I'm not creative. I write the same thing over and over again. So it's not, it's not a mystery. Um, but you can guess, you can squeal. We've had some people kind of live blogging their reactions, which has been really fun sharing their favorite quotes, um, just really, really lovely stuff. But then the other purpose of that particular channel is for treats. So treats are something we've posted a little bit about on the Tumblr. So if you've been following this event along, hopefully you have an idea of what they are. It's definitely, this is a test balloon to see if this is something that people are interested in. We've had proof positive now that people like the stocking and that event's gone really well and we really do hope to do it again, but we're still not sure if the treats are gonna be liked and if we should bother including the treats if we do run this again. So it's definitely a test. And if you're into it, that we hope that you'll engage with it so that we can see that it's something that you're into. If nobody does it, then we won't really have a reason to put in the effort to do it again. But the way that it works is, Treats are for stuff that isn't necessarily Marvel or Stacconi flavored, but they obviously can be if you want them to be, but they are for things that aren't fan works that one would post on AO3. So they might be gift sets or pictures of puppies or little love notes, or some people asked for prompts. Um, there's any number of recipes uh, gardening thoughts, <laughs> uh, you know, pretty much the sky's the limit as long as it's nice and sent with the intention of love and affection. And as long as it fits with what people have requested or requested they don't get uh, on their stocking, then there really is no limit on what you can do for treats. And there are two ways to share treats with people that we're providing, though we're absolutely not going to tell anybody they can't DM someone or send an ask or just, uh, you know, however they want to get in touch. If you've got, if you are pillow fort mutuals with someone, by all means, go treat over there. But for the ones we're going to be keeping an eye on, there's, everybody has a stocking post on the Stacconi Summer Stocking Tumblr, and you can reply or reblog that post with a link or the image itself or the recipe, however you want to share whatever you have found for that person. And the other one, as Flame just said, is the Discord. We will be using our stocking party channel for people to share treats as well. Quite a few members from the event are available on the Discord, and we're hoping that as we promote it, we'll get even more throughout the week. So if you've collected treats for people, you can always at them in that channel and share your treat that way. And then everyone else in the Discord gets to enjoy it as well. Yeah, and we know a lot of you are wary of Discord because a lot of the bigger Discords move really fast. We are a small Discord because <laughs> um, we're new. And so if Discord is something you're thinking of trying and maybe you happen to like Ferret and I, uh, we'd encourage you, which I would hope you do if you're listening to this. <laughs> maybe maybe you like, just spite listen to this. Yeah, if you spite listen the whole to time, like more power to you. Honestly, if you spite listen to this, we want to interview you. <laughs> 
Um, so if you would like to meet some other Stuckoni minded folks or fandom minded folks, one of the nice things about being a multi-shipper is that you generally just love everybody having ship feelings. Um, but if you want to meet some new people, we think our, our new tiny little uh, canoe of a discord is a great place to start. So if you're looking to dip your toe, please join us. As we have mentioned before, but always bears mentioning again, we also have a Discord server specifically for the podcast. So if you find yourself so intrigued now that you join the Stuckoni server, we also welcome you to join the podcast server as well and hang out there. Again, it's small, it's quiet, it's kind. And uh, if you're just getting used to Discord and you find, say, the 1,000 person server is a little overwhelming, this can be a place just to get a taste of it, start getting your feet under you, make some friends, and then maybe you'll feel more confident later charging into some of the bigger spaces, which are also wonderful. So that's the penultimate update for Life of an Event. We'll be back one more time to fill you in on how we think treats worked and what are our future plans for this or any other events. But we would love to know if this particular segment has been helpful to you. Have you been interested in the behind the scenes of an event? Is this something that you'd like us to continue doing if we do more events, which I think you've met <laughs> us, so you know we're going to do. <laughs> How much more kind of inside baseball stuff would you like? This is one of the many things we'd love for you to tell us if you hit us up either in the comments on the post here, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, follow the links to our websites and get in touch with us in another way. But we'd love to hear from you. Treats are open till October 3rd, where we will also be revealing the creators of all the pieces that have been posted. So get in there, read them while they're anonymous, send some kudos and comments to our amazing creators and see if you can guess who it was. And we will be back in the server on October 3rd, having a big party, revealing all the creators, sharing a bunch of treats. And we really, really, really hope we'll see you there. fandom only more love here back to tell you all about what's going on challenge wise in a marvel fandom near you here's the usual note before i start with the current events you'll be able to find everything i mention in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com on to the fun stuff creator registration for marvel trump's hate is officially closed it's now time to wait for the next step, which is preview week. That will run from October 11th to October 17th to give bidders ample time to browse and find offers that spark joy for them. After that, it will be time for auction week from October 18th to October 24th. Who's excited to see all the great offers this year? Only a few days left to fill one of the September Tony Stark Flash Bingo cards. Go, grab one of the nine, and give us more of that sweet Tony content. And the same goes for signing up for the fourth round of the main bingo. Mark four signups close on September 30th. The marvelously naughty bang signups are still open and will remain so until October 10th for writers and November 14th for artists. What do you say? Want to create some Omegaverse content? Iron Dad fans, you only have until September 30th to sign up for the second edition of the Iron Dad Fig Exchange. So go, go, go. The September prompt event will also end by the time September is over. So please give us some more Sam love.
And likewise, the September shuffle event of Starker Festivals will be ending at the end of the month, so it's time to post all those works. The Marvel Scramble is also back with a spooky edition. Sign up with two characters and a spooky prompt, and wait for them to be shuffled in the metaphorical hat along with everyone else's. Create for your mix of two characters and a prompt. The Sun and Storm in Every Blossoming, comment fest for Black MCU characters on Dreamwith, the Cap I Am Bingo and Comment Bingo, Cap I Am Kink Meme, and Lights on Park Avenue are still open for participants' signups and or contributions, and the links to all these are still in our show notes for the past episodes. This is also the time of year where a lot of prompt lists with themes go out. So if you like those, we recommend searching Tumblr for Comfortember, Wumptober, and Kinktober, for example. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of your events forecast. Thank you so much for lending us your ears. We hope you'll join us again next episode. Until then... Please stay safe and happy shipping. And that's a wrap on episode 16. Thanks again to Phoenix Metaphor and to Pear and to everybody who contributed in the community talks this week. Remember that you can always send in your fandom feelings or podcast suggestions via email or through the forum on our website. And remember, as always, that this is your fandom podcast, we promise. And we want it to be about what you want it to be about. So please get a hold of us on socials or on now either one of the Discord servers that we hang out in if you've got something to say. And we will see all of you for episode 17. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.